God will deliver. I hope that phrase lives in the hearts of his people this week, especially those who are experiencing hardship. We are confident that the God who delivers is working behind the scenes, working in the background of our lives, doing only what God can do. And really, that's the story we find in Scripture. That's the story we find in the story of Israel, which is what this is all about up here. Now, I've, I've seen a lot of different themes throughout the years on this particular Sunday. We've had a Star Wars theme. We've had the New York skyline, Toy Story, a Western theme. But this year, we have an RV, which signifies journey. We are going to follow the Israelites on a journey. And this is what our children will hear this week at Camp Agape. And if you're a guest with us and you can't really tell, there's a buzz of excitement in the air among the people here. And I know there's a buzz of excitement in our house right now as we prepare for this very special week in the life of this church. As I mentioned last week, we're taking a break from 2 Timothy in the month of July to join in with this journey of the Israelites. Last week, we took a close look at the Passover, that, that first uh, mark of the journey, where God really launched the people on this journey, and they followed him. It's the story of the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians, which really freed the people from their slavery. But before the actual Passover took place, before the plague of the death of the firstborn, God instilled in his people a rhythm of memory. It's almost as if God took out the map and marked out places and times for the people to stop and pull over on the side of the road, to pause and reflect, to eat, and to remember the Passover. And that's important because memory really shapes us as a people. Memory gives us our identity. We are who we are because of the stories that have been told to us, the stories that we continue to tell one another, the stories that we remember together, which is why our time at the table is so important each and every week. But this morning on the journey, as we follow the Israelites, we come to a bump on the road, really the first big bump on the road. And that's what happens in journeys, and so it's the summertime, and a lot of us are, are traveling, and there are flat tires. Sometimes the engine overheats. Sometimes we lose our luggage. Well, we're running into one of those moments in the life of Israel. The people find themselves in a completely vulnerable position. Let's pick up the story in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 5, Exodus 14, verses 5 and following, the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. So hear the word of God. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of the Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we've done, that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and 
took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people were going out defiantly. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. So they're on the shores of the Red Sea. They lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. May God bless the reading of his word. Some of your translations in verse 14 says, You have only to be still. Be silent. Be still. When I was a junior in high school, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. And the reason why I wanted to learn how to play guitar was because of this rock and roll band, a little-known rock and roll band. I, I doubt any of you have heard of them. They're called the Eagles. And they had a reunion tour back in the mid-90s. And I remember watching them on television, and I was mesmerized by their songwriting, by their harmony, and by their guitar playing. And I know there are people in this room who have seen the Eagles live. And it breaks my heart that you've done that. I struggle with envy. <laughs> but there was a song that they, it was a new song back then on this reunion tour that turned out to be one of my favorite songs. It was a song entitled, Learn to Be Still. Learn to Be Still. Which, if you've never heard that song or you've never paid attention to the lyrics, there's actually some Exodus language within that song. And some of us can hear Don Henley's voice right now singing that refrain. Learn to be still. That's an interesting phrase when you think about it. I think the eagles are right. For most of us, we have to learn to be still. You think about a kindergarten classroom and what do the teachers spend a lot of time on with the children teaching them to be still, which is quite a challenge for many kids. I want to ask our children something. If you're paying attention, have you ever had a thorn or a splinter get caught in your foot? You have? And you went to your parents, and they pulled out the tweezers, and we knew it was going to hurt. And I remember my parents having to remind me whenever they did that. I remember this phrase, Son, you're going to have to sit still if you want this thorn out. Has that ever happened to you? It's hard to be still, especially when you know there's going to be pain. 
Well, this morning, in thinking about learning to be still, I want to bring out an image that is connected to water because this is a water story, but that's the image of someone who is out in the waters, someone who is struggling, someone whose head may be going up and down, maybe even below the water, about to drown. And thinking about that situation, and then also thinking about the rescuer, a rescuer sees someone in this predicament and they dive in, but a rescuer has to be very cautious because someone who is drowning is very dangerous to the rescuer. When someone is drowning, there is panic, there's a desperate search for stability, there's a desperate search for some type of buoy to help keep them afloat, and they're going to grab the rescuer. Often happens, they grab the rescuer and pull them underneath the water, and both of them now are in danger of drowning, which is why it takes some training to learn how to rescue someone properly. If the person who's drowning, when they see the rescuer, if the person who is drowning could just learn to be still, the rescuer could, could have a much easier time in bringing them to shore. But alas, in a difficult situation, in those times of great danger and great vulnerability, learning to be still is about the hardest thing one can learn. In our text this morning, this is certainly something that the Israelites had not learned to do, and it's understandable They had not spent a lot of time with God on this journey. They had witnessed God do some pretty amazing things. The ten plagues there in Egypt. They watched the defeat of the Egyptian gods by this God that Moses had reintroduced them to. But they didn't know God. They hadn't developed a relationship of trust with God over time. They didn't know God's motives in taking them on this strange journey to the wilderness. So it's understandable when the people look up and they see the Egyptian army marching down, it's understandable that they would panic. They had been led by God to a place of great vulnerability. And maybe even they're they're questioning the wisdom of this God who had essentially led them into a trap. They were trapped on one side by the Red Sea and by the Egyptian army marching down on the other side. They were experiencing a bump in the road, a situation that they could not fix themselves. And what was their response? Well, their response is really what we all would respond to. Panic, complaint, lashing out. It's a sign of someone drowning. The rescuer is right there. But the people had not learned to be still. Well, a question for us this morning is, can we see or do we have a vision of the Egyptian army marching down toward us this morning? Are we in a situation where we feel like we are trapped? Where we have no place to go? And I guess the the better question for us is, what is our response to those situations. Life is very much a journey, and there are moments that really shake us to our core. So on Wednesday evenings, we're working through the story of Redemption video series, and this Wednesday, we broke out into our small groups, and we watched a video about Abraham. 
We remember the story of Abraham. He is called to leave his place of stability, his place of safety, and go to this foreign land and live as a foreigner. But immediately, whenever he comes into the land, he's given all these promises, but then there are these threats to the promises. There's famine, there, there's warring nations, uh, there, there's not enough space in the land. And then God promised him descendants, and Abraham and Sarah are old, and they're beyond childbearing years. And in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has lots of questions. He questions God, how is this all going to work out? I've got my own ideas of how this can work out, but how in the world is this going to work out? And so we broke off into our different small groups, and we wrestled with those own questions. What are our questions? What are those situations in our lives? Looking back, Or maybe even right now, what are those situations where we have questions about how God's plans are working out in our lives? It's natural to have those questions. In fact, I might be worried if we didn't have these questions whenever we run into the bump in the road. And especially one of the fundamental questions of our faith. Where is God? Where is God when we look up and we see the Egyptian army marching toward us? Where is God when we find ourselves in the doctor's office and we receive some not-so-good news? Where is God whenever we're in the boss's office and the boss tells us that our services are no longer needed after years of employment? Where is God whenever our spouse turns to us and says... I don't love you anymore. Where is God when the dream and the relationship and the plans fall apart? These bumps in the road that we experience on the journey of life. Those places of vulnerability. Those places will bring out questions like these. When the ground is moving underneath us. Or to carry out the metaphor from earlier. When we find ourselves drowning in the waters. What do we want? We want air, we want respite, we want escape. We want to find solid ground. So in those moments, our natural impulse is to panic, to flail, to grab a hold of anything and everything we can to keep our head above the water. But there with the rescuer in our midst, the same question that was before the Israelites is before us today. Have we learned to be still? I don't know how many times in my lifetime I've read Exodus chapter 14. It's one of those passages that's so famous and It's been portrayed in movies. We can see Charlton Heston with his staff in the 1950s special effects of the Red Sea parting, and we have that all in our mind. We've heard this story, so many of us have heard this story many different times. So it's easy to rush through a reading, which is why I don't think I ever caught Moses' instruction to the people in verses 13 and 14 before. I just, I don't know, just... Just glossed over it. Moses is there. He he sees the panic in the people. He can see it in their eyes. He can tell they don't trust God. He can tell they think they're really about to die. 
He can hear their complaints against him and ultimately against God. But here at the dead end, on the shores of the Red Sea, Moses says three things. Fear not, stand firm, be still. Well, Moses, don't you see the Egyptians marching upon us? Fear not, stand firm, be still. Moses, we're about to die. We might as well dig our graves here on the shores. And Moses says it doesn't matter. Fear not, stand firm, be still. Yes, the people are in a situation that is beyond them. And they could be, and they are, actually panicking in their situation in this first big test, this first big bump in the road on their journey, this test of, are you going to trust the God who led you out of Egypt? And here in their first test, before God parts the waters of the Red Sea, before He leads them to the other side of the sea on dry ground, before He defeats the Egyptian army in a decisive blow the people are instructed to fear not stand firm be still well that begs the question for us this morning what does it mean to be still does it mean that when we get the call from the doctor We don't need to do any research or pursue different ways of healing. Does it mean that when we lose our job, that we should not worry about updating our resumes or applying for different positions? Does it mean that we just drift along in life with no ambition and no hard work? No, no. It doesn't mean any of those things. That's not what being still is all about. What I hear in Moses' instruction to the people is more of a mindset. I hear the words of Paul, who's in prison, who's writing to the people in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, when he says, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and by supplication with thanksgiving. Make all of your requests known to God and the peace of God which transcends. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is not an earthly peace we're talking about. This is a heavenly peace which is a gift from God. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. There are bumps in the road on the journey of life. There are moments when the armies are pressing in around us and we have nowhere to go. And maybe our first reaction is to panic. That is the natural reaction whenever our head goes under the water. But make no mistake about it, brothers 
and sisters in Christ, we also have a supernatural reaction that comes from God himself, God with us. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, that grows within us as we grow in our faith, as we learn to be still and let the rescuer do what only the rescuer can do. We do our part, but ultimately it is the rescuer who can do what only the rescuer can do. There is a destination on this journey. There is a promised land to which we're headed. There is a place, it's called the new heavens and the new earth in Scripture, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more decay as the old hymn goes. And we can't wait for that day. But there's also a destination that we grow into even right now. It's a mindset where we learn to fear not. We learn to stand firm. Where we learn to be still, knowing that the rescuer is at hand. And in fact, when we take a step back and we rehearse this story week in and week out, we know that the rescue has already happened. Through the death and burial and resurrection, through the empty tomb, we have been rescued as the people of God. It is a done deal. I think that's why Paul links our baptisms to this Red Sea moment, this moment when we surrender, when we truly learn to be still. We're going to do.